Good morning, eight o'clock. It is early. I drank a lot of coffee this morning, so I hope to get wired up this morning, okay? So I hope y'all are excited to be here. My name is Savut, and I am the development pastor at the Mercerville campus. And I'm just super excited to teach you God's word this morning. Uh, if this is your first time, what we do is we go through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. And we have been in the Gospel of John, um, and today we're gonna be in chapter seven, all of it. So 52 verses, there's a lot to cover. And so I wanna jump in and get started because I don't wanna get fired, okay? Because I gotta finish on time and get you guys out at a good time. All right, and so last week, Pastor Corey, uh, he covered the second half of chapter six. And in that chapter, right, in that second half, we learned that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He says some weird things. He says, hey, come and eat my flesh and drink my blood. And from an earthly standpoint, that sounds odd. And they, they were confused. They're like, what is he saying? But from a spiritual standpoint, what Jesus was saying is, You've, you're gonna find life in me. Come to me and you will find satisfaction. And so last week, Pastor Corey asked, where will we go for fulfillment? You know, at the end, Jesus talks to his disciples and he goes, hey, they, they've already left. Are you gonna leave me too? And I love their response. The disciples ask, where else will we go? To whom will we go? You are the Messiah. You are the savior of the world. And so Pastor Corey asked a question for us. Where do we go to find true life? Where do we go to find fulfillment? And I think in a church setting, it's very easy to say, I go to Jesus, of course. But sometimes we live out the opposite. We go to relationships or money or sex or um, drugs or, or many other things or politics to try to find fulfillment. And Jesus says, I'm the only place that you can find fulfillment. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is cover chapter seven, and there's something similar that happens. Jesus, there's a water festival going on, and Jesus talks, to, and he stands up and he says, for anyone who thirsts, come to me, and you'll have streams of living water that flow from deep within. So he's saying, come and drink me. Come and drink this water. I have something better that you're looking for. So Jesus provides this living water that our thirsty souls long for. I wanna give an overview of what we're gonna talk about just so you guys, you guys can get a glimpse of what chapter seven is about. And so there's about a week-long festival going on. It's called the Festival of Shelters. And uh, there's water rituals that are led by the priests and there's a crowd following the priests and they're chanting Psalms like Psalm 118. They say, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Basically, they're looking for true life by doing these water rituals. And so we're gonna see there's the beginning of it and then the middle is a lot that goes on and then the very last day of the feast, it's the greatest day of the feast, right? And in that, Jesus steps into the festival and he starts to teach and he starts to say some things that we're gonna unpack this morning. So before we dive into scripture, when you guys walked in, you should have received a notes handout. Everything that I will say will be on the screens and then you can also follow along by downloading the Experience Community app under Sermon Notes. Church, are you excited this morning to dive into God's word? Yes. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for the gift of worship. 
that we can gather here and sing out songs to you because you are worthy of worship. God, thank you for your, the gift of your word that we could open it up and read it. Lord, I pray that you would teach us something this morning, that you would speak through me. Give me wisdom. Lord, I pray that this is all about you and all for your glory. God, we also wanna take a moment to pray for all the churches that are gathering this morning and that proclaim that you are the King of Kings. Pray that you would bless those communities and let your gospel spread throughout Middle Tennessee. Lord, we're grateful for you. Be with us this morning. We need your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's go to John 7. So after this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. And the Jewish festival of shelters was near. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said these things, he stayed in Galilee. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, then he also went up, not openly, but secretly. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, where is he? And there was a lot of murmuring about him among the crowd. Some were saying, he's a good man. And others were saying, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. Still, nobody was talking publicly about him for fear of the Jews. And so the first thing we see that Jesus talks about with his brothers is, hey, I'm not gonna go up to the festival because I know that they're gonna try to kill me. And so the question is, was he scared? Absolutely not. It wasn't a lack of courage that he stayed back, but it was an awareness of the Father's perfect timing. What we're gonna see in verse, what we saw in verse 10 is he goes up in secret. So basically part of God's plan and God's timing was that Jesus wouldn't go and make a grand entrance at this time. And so what he, Jesus lives is out that the Father's timing is, an, is a crucial part of his life. Like everything that Jesus said and everything that he does is in line with the character of the Father. And so that should be the case with us too, right? That, that the Father's timing is an important part of our life too. And when it comes to timing, when it comes to God's timing, that's a hard thing to navigate in this life. And I think it's because of the culture that we live in. Uh, the truth is we are an impatient culture and we want everything now, right? And so like fast food, we want it now. We're gonna go through the drive-through, correct? And then for, like I'm guilty of this with Amazon, right? Amazon, you can get things in the next few hours. That's crazy, right? So when I look for things on Amazon, I'm like, don't look, I don't care about the prices. Give me something to my door in a few hours, right? And so, some of you guys are laughing, but that's what we do as a culture. And so when it comes to God's timing, it's a hard thing to navigate We'll talk more about that in a minute. What we see is he's having a conversation with his brothers. And we see in verse five that they have this unbelief, right? And so Jesus' brother says, hey, you've been doing miracles. You've been saying things. 
in Galilee and these other areas. This week is about to be this huge week coming up and this awesome festival. There's gonna be a ton of people there. This is a big platform for you to prove yourself. And so Jesus knew their hearts and he knew it, their motive was because they didn't believe in him. They were, they were never really supportive of his claim to be the Messiah until Jesus died and resurrected. We see that in Acts chapter one. And so his brothers probably thought that his success depended on the world's opinion, right? And so I want, I want us to show some grace to the brothers of Jesus here, because if I was one of Jesus' brothers and Jesus said the things that he said growing up with him and he did the things he did, I'm like, bro, you're crazy, right? That's what I would say, like, what in the world are you talking about? And so his brothers probably had some unbelief because of that. So they thought, wait, if, the, if you say the same things and you do some stuff and you start to claim that you're the Messiah, and if they respond well, maybe we'll believe in you. So something practical for us. It's a question that we need to wrestle with. Do we value the world's opinions over God's opinion? So what that looks like in us, in our lives as Christians, is the most important thing about ourselves is what God says about us. Right, And so we hold on to that. And then anything that the world says, we let go because the world says a lot of crazy stuff to us, right? Now, that doesn't disqualify us from, from wanting to have a good reputation though. And so the best way to have the, a great reputation is to hold on to what God says about us because then we'll be more conformed into his image. Jesus says this a couple of times in this chapter, my time has not yet arrived and so the brothers of Jesus, you know, he says, of course, any time is good for you. Of course, political ambition is good for you right now because you're not in line with the Father's time. I'm on a strict schedule. I know when I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to do. And so a lesson for us is something may be in God's will, but not yet in his timing. And that's really difficult because for us, God reveals something to us as Christians and we're like, man, I have a lot of peace about something, whether it's a relationship or a career, whatever the case is, and you're like, man, I have peace about this. God, show me what to do, show me when to move. And then here's how I handle it. I'll say, man, God, show me when to go, show me what to do, and show me when to have this conversation, or whatever the case is. And after two days of waiting, I get impatient, and I'm like, all right, God, I'm, I'm sick of waiting. I wanna take control into my own hands. That's, that's what we do sometimes. But the opposite is also true, is when God reveals something to us and when he tells us to move, we better move. We better respond and say, God, I'm gonna be obedient because I love you. All right, next part, let's go to verse 14 here. When the festival was already half over, Jesus went up into the temple and he began to teach. Then the Jews were amazed and he said, how is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? Jesus answered them, my teaching isn't mine, but it's from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God, whether I am speaking on my own. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You have a demon, the crowd responded. Who is trying to kill you? I performed one work and you are all amazed, Jesus answered. 
This is why Moses gave, has given you circumcision. Not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Stop judging according to outward appearances, rather judge according to righteous judgment. So Jesus is getting sassy with the religious leaders here. And what we're gonna see is we're gonna see three scenes, all right? Three different scenes that happen in the middle of the festival. There's three questions that are being asked. Jesus starts to teach publicly. He steps into the festival. And the questions are, Jesus, where did you go to school, right? Where, where were you trained? Where is he from? And then where is Jesus going? And the answer to all three questions, he responds, I'm from heaven, right? I've come from the one who sent me. So the first question we see is, where did he go to school? So though, remember in verse 10, he came up in secret. Though he avoided this grand entrance, when he came, he taught boldly, right? He taught with authority. And they were obviously like amazed at this teaching. And it's like, where in the world did he get this training from? And so they couldn't find any false doctrine with him, right? The, the teachings of what he was saying, the truth with the religious leaders is they were, they had one thing in mind. They wanted to arrest Jesus and kill him, right? They had, their hearts were hard and they were prideful. They knew what they wanted and they were not gonna even listen to the, to the thought that this could be the Messiah. So they, they, they attacked his credentials. They said, man, you know what? Since we can't figure out the things he's saying is, is contrary to the, to, the, to the scriptures, we're going to try to figure out why is he not trained the way that we want him to be trained. And so Jesus points to the doctrine, right? Doctrine is important. The teachings is, is important. And so um, he says, my teaching actually comes from the one who sent me, right? I don't need to go through your training. I don't need to go through your school because I'm different. If the Jewish leaders would have listened carefully to the teachings of Jesus, they wouldn't know that it was from God. And that's similar to us today. Like the truth is these religious leaders were so prideful that they, they, that they were petty about the small things, right? They were petty about the small things. They started to worry about the minors and they missed the major message of the Messiah. They were so busy attacking his credentials that they missed the Messiah right in front of them. And is that the case with us too as a culture? Like maybe for us, it's like, man, the worship music sucks, right? And then that's all we worry about and then we miss the message of the gospel. Or we're like, man, this preacher sucks. And then we miss the message of what the scripture is actually saying. Like we get so petty over minor things. And, and maybe a common one is like, Pastor Corey doesn't wear shoes, right? That bothers us. And like, that's minor. Like, like, but he's still teaching the word of God and this word of God has the power to transform us. But Jesus was different, right? What we see here is he's, he was different than the teachers of their day. And he was different because he sought the glory of the Father. That's what he was here for, to point people to a relationship with the Father. So there are two measures of a, of, of a true teacher, right? And this is so important for us. The first thing is, does the teaching come from God? Like, does the teaching come from God's word? And that's so sad that we even have to talk about that in churches. Because the truth is, churches should open up God's word and teach the Bible, right? because this Bible has the power to change us. It is God's words to us. This is how he speaks to us. It's instructions on how to live life. But I think there's a lot of churches that love to just do 
series and feel good stuff to make it all about you guys, to make it all about us. And what we need is when, when we read this word, just like we saw um, Jesus talk about earlier, he, he has come to expose the evil works. He has come to show us that we need a savior. The second one is, does, it, does the work give glory to God? Man, that's so important because maybe there's a teacher that is teaching the word of God and it sounds awesome and like the theology is great, but then you find out, wait, this, this pastor has a website after himself, right? Or, or wait, um, it's more about the pastor than it is about Jesus. And so this morning, and some of you guys are gonna hate me for this, that's fine, but this morning, some of you guys have come to church to the experience of Merciful because you're like, I'm so excited to hear Pastor Corey. Well, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, right? I'm not Pastor Corey. Um, but, but listen to this. Pastor Corey will tell you the same exact thing. When we gather in church, it should be to have an encounter with Jesus and not a pastor, right? Because there's no pastors in this world that can transform and save somebody. Only Jesus Christ can. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to point you to a relationship with Jesus. And then Jesus talks to the religious leaders. He says, hey, didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. You're trying to kill me. That's one of the commandments, right? You're trying to kill me. You guys are the guilty ones. And so the people that were listening to Jesus talk, right, just the normal people, they were like, wait, Jesus, what are you talking about, right? You're crazy. They said, you have a demon. They thought that, they were like, man, who's trying to kill you? They, they, were, they were not aware that the religious leaders were actually trying to kill him, right? From John chapter five, because he healed a man on a Sabbath. He said, I perform one miracle and you're still amazed. And so he, he gives this logical argument. He says, listen, Moses gave you the law of circumcision, right? That, that on the eighth day that you would circumcise a boy. And then he said, you do that periodically on a Sabbath and you do that so you don't break the law of Moses. But I heal a man entirely, and yet you're angry with me. He says, take a step back and just look at the situation here. All right, next part. Let's go to verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Yet look, he's speaking publicly, and they're saying nothing to him. Can it be true that the authorities know he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. As he was teaching in the temple, Jesus cried out, you know me and you know where I am from, yet I have not come on my own, but, to the, but the one who sent me is true. You don't know him. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Then they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. However, many from the crowd believed in him and said, when the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things about him, and so the chief priests and the Pharisees sent servants to arrest him. And I love this. So the police is trying to arrest him, and he gives them a Bible study, right? Jesus said, I'm only with you for a short time, then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, 
Where does he intend to go that we won't find him? He doesn't intend to go to the Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? What is this remark he made? You will look for me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. So the second question, the second scene that we see is, where is this man from? The crowd, they're, they're examining Jesus on an earthly level, right? And so they, th- they say, hey, since we know where you're from, that disqualifies you from being the Messiah. And many people think they know, just like these religious leaders, they think they know Jesus because they know some facts about him. They think they know Jesus because they have some head knowledge about him and they've heard Bible stories about him. But the truth is there's a lot of, even in our culture, but they don't truly know him and they don't have an authentic relationship with him. And, and for our church, we need to make sure that we just don't come to church and gain a bunch of head knowledge and read scriptures for a bunch of head knowledge and we don't live it out at all. We don't have this affection for Jesus. We don't have this relationship with him to where we love him. It's because it's out of the love for Jesus that when he tells us to do something difficult that's not comfortable, then we would do it because we have that relationship with him, right? Because if we don't, then it's gonna be easy to say, ah, oh, that, never mind, I'm not gonna do this. This is not comfortable. This does not fit my agenda. He gives a sarcastic response here, right? He goes, hey, you know me and you know where I'm from, but actually you don't. He actually says in John 5, you don't have the love of God in you. They thought they knew, but they, they didn't know that he was actually from the one who sent him. And if we examine Jesus on earthly terms without the Spirit's help and biblical wisdom, the truth is following Jesus will never make sense. It won't, man, I, and, and I've tried that my first two years of following Jesus. I would come and I'm like, man, it's about what I know and it's about how good I am and it's about the strength and what I can do. And then I would read some stuff in here. I'm like, this sounds crazy. I don't know what this means. All right, we're gonna talk more about that at the end, but sometimes when we live life like this with Jesus and we're like, it's based off my own ability, it's gonna be easy to throw in the towel. The, sec, uh, the third scene here, the third question is, where is he going, right? They try to arrest him, and then he, he tells them, I'm with you for a short time, and where I am, you cannot come. What does that mean? He says, you will look for me, and you will not find me. So the Jewish leaders, they were wondering, where, where, where could he be going? What is he talking about? Jesus, when he was here on earth, during his ministry, what he did was he was trying to find those that would believe in him. He was here to be the savior of the world, to rescue humanity. And so once he dies and resurrects and goes and, be, and he's with the Father, what's going to happen to these Jewish leaders is they're going to search and try to find what they've tragically missed. And that can be the same truth for us today. Like how many times have we said, I will get serious about Jesus when I graduate high school. I will get serious about Jesus when I graduate college. I will get serious when I get married, when I have kids, when I get the career I want. I'll get serious when I get to 30, right? It's it's crazy. And then here's the most common one is, I will get serious about Jesus when I can clean myself up when I can fix the sin that's going on in my life. And there's, there's a few things I wanna say to that. The first is, we're not promised tomorrow. We don't have all the time in the world that we think we do. 
Our life is like a vapor, right? It's what the Bible talks about. And then the second thing is, like why would we not want to invite the creator of the universe to be in our lives so we can be in a relationship with him so that he can be with us in high school, in college, in our marriages, with our kids? Like when I think about my marriage, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like marriage is awesome, but there's no way I can be the husband I'm, I'm supposed to be without the help of God. It's the same, it's the same truth for parents out there. You can't be the parent that you're supposed to be without the help and the wisdom of God. And so invite him into those seasons. And then that, that sin that you're trying to, to find freedom from, you can't find freedom from that sin without Jesus. He's the only one that can set you free. All right, last part, let's go to verse 37. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When some from the crowd heard these words, they said, this truly is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scriptures say that the Messiah come, comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the servants came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him? The servants answered, I love this. No man ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, are you fool too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which doesn't know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and who was one of them, said to them, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied, investigate, and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Man, this last part is so awesome. And so remember, this is a week-long festival, a big deal for the Jewish people here. And so the crowd, they've been focused on this water ritual. And so what would happen is there's a priest that would get a pitcher and, and he would uh, dip it into the water and then he would lead processions and they would follow and they would chant things. And, and what would happen is they would pour out, the priest would pour out the water. And some, some commentators say that this, they, they would say, this is the height of joy for the crowd, for the people, to see the water being poured out, right? When they said, Lord, save us, Lord, grant us success. And they would yell to the priest, hey, can you lift the pitcher a little bit higher? We wanna see the water. And they would see the water and they would like be the pinnacle of their life. And that's the scene that Jesus steps into. On the last day, Jesus steps in. He stands up and he cried out. He cried out. That's a big deal for us to understand because this probably breaks the heart of Jesus to see that this is where they're looking for life, right? Jesus cried out and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Bro, Jesus is a savage, right? The fact that he said that in the middle of a water procession, in a water ritual, but he knew what he was doing. It breaks his heart. He says, 
I am what you're looking for. That's not gonna save you. I am, I am what you're looking for. So how many of us are focused on finding life and satisfaction with religious rituals versus a relationship with God? Like how many of us think that it's just about coming to church? How many of us think that if we can just get in this body of water to get baptized? How many of us think that if we could just take communion this many times, that we'll be saved? And we can do all that and not have any affection or love for Jesus. So we have to say, man, if I have a relationship with Jesus and the spirit lives inside of me, then out of that love, it will compel me to be consistent in community, right? To be consistent in coming to church, to be consistent in serving. And all I, all that I do in this life is because I wanna worship my creator. It's out of that love, out of that relationship. So then he talks about streams of living water. He says, the one who believes in me will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. I love that as Jesus talks about that, John right after says in verse 39, hey, by the way, he's talking about the spirit. I love that. Thank God for John, because I think if it wasn't for that, then there would be a lot of whack theologies about what streams of living water is, right? They could say streams of living water is probably this or this, or, and there'd be a lot of confusion. And John's saying, chill out, it's just the Spirit. That's what we're talking about, right? It's the Spirit. It's the spirit. And so after the glorification, which is basically the death and resurrection of Jesus, then John says the Spirit will be given. It will be given to those who believe. And so we know that the death and resurrection has already happened. And so the spirit is given to those who believe. And so if we have a relationship with Jesus, the truth is we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And this is crazy. Like for us, for, for those that have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we take that gift for granted. Like the same spirit that conquered death lives inside of us. And he's available to us every moment of our lives. And what we try to do is we try to navigate this chaotic world on our own. Like it blows my mind, I do the same thing. And I'll try it for like weeks and I'm like, what am I doing? I have the spirit with me. I need to depend on him. Some said, hey, he's the prophet, right? After he talks about this living water, some said he's the prophet and some said he's the Messiah. Everyone had an opinion, everyone was talking about him. And when Jesus steps in, the truth is we gotta make a decision. We're either for him or against him. And if you're like, oh, I'm just kind of in the middle, or if you're in the middle, you're probably against him, right? You're either for him or you're against him. You either have a relationship with him or you don't. And some wanted to, to kill him, some wanted to arrest him. And I love that when they tried to arrest him, they said, man, we, we came back empty-handed. And the religious is like, where is he at? They're like, man, no, no man has ever spoke like this. The truth is, Jesus said, my time has not yet come. You can't lay your hands on me because it's not part of God's plan right now. So the vision came because of who he is. In Matthew, uh, it talks about that he, he has come to bring a sword, right? A dividing sword. Um, the gospel is offensive. He just said it over and over in, in the first part of this chapter that, hey, he's talking to his brothers, the world doesn't hate you but the world does hate me because I testify about his works. As Christians, and my wife and I have experienced this this past year, it's been difficult. With our family, like when we, when we hold on to our faith and we stand firm to the conviction that the Lord has led us, 
Sometimes that brings division even among your family. And that's painful, but we're gonna be obedient to what the Lord has told us to do. And then the last thing we see in this chapter is talks about Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders. Nicodemus, he tried to reason with the other leaders and he got, he's like, guys, isn't it against the law to condemn a man without hearing him? And so why are we trying to rush this process? What are we doing about this? And then they respond, wait, wait, are you from Galilee too? Are you lost too? Are you confused too? And I love this. They say, go and investigate. Basically, go read your Bible. No prophets arise from Galilee. You don't know what you're talking about, right? But the truth is they were wrong because Jonah is actually from Lower Galilee. And Jesus of Nazareth is actually from Lower Galilee also. But if they really started to listen and would humble themselves, they would actually come to find out that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? Where the, where, and even said it, isn't the Messiah from Bethlehem? Yes, he is. And so what that means, what that, could, what that teaches us this morning is that sometimes when we are so prideful, we're gonna miss out to, to who Jesus really is. We're gonna be so closed off because we're narrow-minded. When people are filled with self-righteous water like the religious leaders, they won't thirst for living water. Replace self-righteous with a lot of things, right? If we are filled with prideful water, we're not gonna thirst for living water. If we are filled with political water, we're not going to thirst for living water. It's gonna take humility for us to thirst for the living water. And that's where I wanna finish our time this morning, about the living water. Remember, in this crowd, in this religious ceremony that's going on, this festival, Jesus stands up and he cries out because he's wanting to invite them into a relationship with him. I love this. If anyone, he says, if anyone, that means this invitation was broad. That means intelligence and race and class and even political party doesn't matter, right? You are welcome to a relationship with Jesus. And so on, on this side, I don't really care what political beliefs you have, okay? And I don't really know. And on this side, I don't really care what political beliefs you have. You're both invited into a relationship with Jesus. And here's something that's gonna be mind-blowing. And you're like, dang, that's crazy. But if this side believes a certain politics and, and they have a relationship with Jesus and they love him, and then this side has a relationship with Jesus and they love him, guess what? We're gonna be in heaven together, right? That's awesome. And if you have a problem with that, then you have a wrong idea of what heaven looks like. Get that figured out now. In the middle, you guys are good, right? You guys are good. <laughs> and then our past, okay? So our past doesn't limit us to coming to him. And I love that because when I think about our past, and maybe you're like, Savut, you have no idea what I've done. Man, I know there's so many stories in here. I know there's, there's so much that, that we've done and, and like, it's, it's crazy, that's fine. But here's what I do know. I know that Jesus Christ and the power of the cross is stronger than any sin that we've committed, right? Jesus died for that. And so it doesn't matter what your past is, you can come to him. But then the invitation gets narrow because he says, if anyone thirsts. So the invitation gets narrow because thirst, what that means is one must see their need for Jesus. Thirst is this emptiness, this crying need 
that we have. So the question is, do we have a desire for Jesus? And this question breaks my heart, and here's why. This question is hard to wrestle with because I have family and friends and people that I love that don't know the Lord. And the truth is, I know you guys, you guys have the same thing in your life. You have family and friends, maybe a spouse or a coworker, people that you know that don't know the Lord. And our desire as Christians is we want them to have a relationship with Jesus. Man, that makes it difficult. All we can do, all we can do is live a life that honors God, live a life that shows that we worship God regardless of what the world is doing, right? We, we, we can pray for them, we can listen to them, but we can't make them follow Jesus. They have to have that desire on their own. They have to have that desire on their own. And that's a hard truth that I've come to accept, but I won't give up, right? And that's the same for you. I don't want you to give up on people. Continue to pray for people and to love people. Jesus says next, hey, come to me and drink. So to come to Jesus and to drink means to put our faith in him. That means we're going to trust in Jesus and rely on him. That means to trust and rely with our finance and with our family, with our marriage, with our life, right? With our day-to-day stuff. We're going to trust and depend on him. And then to hold on to him, right? To cling to Jesus in the good times and the bad times. Pastor Corey talked about this about three weeks ago. He said, when life is good for most people, that's when they start to walk away from the church. And so for us, what that looks like to, to come and drink is, God, I'm gonna praise you when life is good. I'm also gonna praise you when life is bad. Regardless of what's going on, you are worthy of worship and my life is fully surrendered to you. And if we come to Jesus, I said this earlier, if we come to him and begin this relationship and we're like, we're going to follow you, Jesus, but it's gonna be based on our own wisdom. And it's not based on a relationship and a, and, and, and a dependence on your spirit, then following Jesus won't make sense. There's gonna be things that Jesus says that's like, hey, love and pray for your enemies. You don't have the spirit living inside of you. That doesn't make sense. This is, this, this is also a, a weird one. Hey, if your, your eye causes you to sin, cut the other one out. If you read that from an earthly standpoint, don't cut your eye out, by the way. But if you read that from an earthly standpoint, you're like, what is he talking about? He's talking about the severity of sin and what that means is serious, that we need to put those things to death. And then he says to, to deny yourself and take up the cross daily. What does that mean? So right, it doesn't make sense unless you have a relationship with him and you ask for wisdom. And the good news is God gives you wisdom. And if we don't, if we just rely on our own strength, we're going to give up. We're gonna throw in a towel. And maybe you're just like, man, that, that makes sense why people have kind of um, disowned the faith. And they say they walked away from the faith, but the truth is they probably never had a relationship with Jesus. It was probably just religious stuff that they were doing. He then talks about the streams of living water. I love this. Jesus didn't just speak of the spirit coming inside of us, but something flowing out of us as well. This, the, it says that the, the spirit, the living water flows from deep within. 
And so Christian, I'm talking to just Christians, what flows out of you? What fruit do you bear? You should be more conformed into the image of God. You can say all day long you're a Christian, but if you don't, if, you, if, you, if the fruit doesn't show that, that you're a Christ follower, then I don't know, right? If you can, you can come to church all day long, but if you don't love people, if you don't point people to him, if you don't start to speak like Jesus, if you don't um, stand firm in the midst of chaos, then I don't know if you're a Christian. When we have a genuine encounter with Jesus, it should transform us. When we have an interaction with Jesus and we surrender our life to him, our life changes forever. That every day that passes by, every year that passes by, that we should look more and more like Jesus and less and less like our old self. When we receive the blessing of relationship with Jesus, we should be a blessing to other people. Right? That should just be the desire of our hearts, that we should want to go and share about Jesus with the world. We want them to have what we have. That's what we should do. Streams of living water flow from deep within. And so will we come and drink? Man, this living water is something we have to consistently consume. Every day, every morning, Lord, I wanna worship you today. Lord, everything I do at work is gonna be about you today. I want to have conversations about you today. I wanna have conversations that matter today. I wanna, I wanna bring uh, your name glory, right? That's what we wanna do. And as soon as we stop, we're gonna have a thirst and what's going to happen is we're going to start to run to other sources of water. And those other sources of drink will start to contaminate our soul. This living water is how we're able to persevere and have hope in the middle of the chaos. You guys know that if you have a relationship with Jesus. Like, I, I don't know how people do it without God. And do, do we see the world? This, it's crazy. How do people do it without God? I don't know. And then shame and confusion and emptiness and loneliness should lead us to thirst for living water. In church, I wanna tell you this morning, like when I, when I type out shame, confusion, emptiness, loneliness, I'm not saying that's just stuff that you guys deal with I write this because this is what I deal with. I write this because this is what our team at the church deals with, that we're humans too, that we, we mess up too. And so the people closest to me know that shame is what I've wrestled with in the last six months. Shame is hard. It's scary, it's dark. There's a lot of things that I'm insecure about, a lot of things that I wrestle with. And when I wake up and I don't run to Jesus, I start to get distracted and then I start to give in to certain sins and I start to forget who I belong to. And so I'm so thankful for my wife and I'm so thankful for my mentor. I'm thankful for my life group and for my counselor because those are the people in my life that says, Savut, you belong to Jesus. Be reminded of who you belong to. When I walk in shame, it's a dark place. When I walk in shame, I wanna hide. When I walk in shame, the scariest place to go to is the light. Because I want to isolate. When I'm walking shame, maybe the most awkward and difficult place to go to is to a perfect God that says, come to me and drink. And now I'll give you streams of living water that flows from deep within. That's what happens when I walk in shame. But I'm so thankful that my life used to be in the middle of the darkness 
I would be in that place for months. But as I continue to learn more and more about Jesus and continue to have a deeper relationship with Jesus, it's t- those months have now turned into weeks. And sometimes it's days. One of the things that I'm reminded of over the last six months is that the Lord delights in me. And so um, there's a story that my counselor told me, right? I wanna tell you this quick story too because I hope that it encourages you, that it reminds you of who God is. So my wife and I, we have two, two nephews. They're awesome. And then we have a niece, right? Our niece, her name is Ivy, and she's great. We absolutely love those three kids. Um, those, our two nephews, man, one of them is running around like a tornado, right? I'm like, he's awesome, and I just wanna hold him, but he won't stand still. And then my other nephew, uh, he's the same age, but he chooses not to walk. He's like, I can probably walk, but I'm gonna just stand and sit still, right? And it's, but it, the, the, I love both of them. My wife and I absolutely love them. And then there's Ivy. Ivy's our only niece. She's six months. And my wife absolutely loves Ivy. I love her too. She's great. She's special. My wife thinks that, you know, she's the best thing. She's so obsessed with Ivy. Anytime, we're, you know, uh, Ivy will come over, Allison drops everything. And Allison's like, I just want to hold Ivy. I'm like, what a, we're, just, we're in the middle of doing something, right? We're in the middle of doing chores or whatever. But that's how much Allison loves Ivy. And then there are times when, like, literally Ivy's just sleeping. And Allison would go, Savoot, you got to come, come look at Ivy. I'm like, Honey, she's sleeping. She's just sleeping. But my counselor told me this story. And he goes, hey, you know how much Allison loves Ivy? I was like, yeah, she does. He said, how much more does God love Ivy? Like, how much more does God love Allison? And how much more does God love you, Sabut? And it's crazy to think that, like, when Ivy is doing absolutely nothing, the Lord loves her. The same truth for us, when we do absolutely nothing, God delights in us. That's such a great picture of the Lord's love for me. So I'm reminded of that truth because I'm surrounding myself with community and his word. I need to hear it over and over. I need to consistently come to the Lord and drink the water that he offers. That's what the living water has meant to me. A relationship with God means I don't have to stay in darkness for months It's now days. I'll stray off, life isn't perfect, but I come back to to the one, to the creator of the universe. This verse says, the Lord your God is among you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. There's a song about Ivy. There's a song about Allison. There's a song about me. And if we would just come and drink, there's a song about all of us. That's so crazy to think about, but that's how much the Lord loves his children. Would you guys pray with me? If you're in this room and uh, you have questions about life, about the Bible, about Jesus, whatever it is, to my right, your left, is Pastor Muhammad. Come ask him any questions. He would love to talk with you, to pray with you. And if you are here and maybe you have, maybe you're walking in shame, 
Maybe you're confused. Maybe there's, there's a lot of chaos going on in your life. I wanna invite you to come up and ask for prayer. There's men and women on both sides of the stage that would love to pray with you. Don't do life alone. And then this morning, we're gonna take communion together as a church. And so what I want, want us to do is go grab communion and come back to your seats and then we're gonna have a pastor come up and lead us in a time of communion together. God, you're so good to us. God, I thank you for how much you love us. I thank you that you delight in us. God, there's no other place where we can find life except for you. And so I pray that we would consistently come to you and drink. Thankful for the living water that lives inside of your, your children and, your, and, and the believers. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place that we will be reminded of that truth. We need your help. Protect us, protect our families, be with our community. God, we wanna worship you even as we leave this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.